If you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And today, I'm going to try to do something I've never done on Easter before. I'm going to try to preach the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Woo! All right! Yeah! Don't y'all all get up and leave at once now. 58 verses, but it's going to happen and I'm going to get it done in time. Do you believe that? Amen? I heard no's out there. Colton Ezer, I heard that from you, my own associate. My goodness gracious. No, I thought about this Easter, and believe it or not, Easter is a difficult time for preachers because, uh, I mean, we, we, because we, we believe the resurrection, no question about it. But, but coming up with something, you know, for Easter every year for 20, 30 years, believe it or not, is, is not that easy a thing to do. And so, and I try not to go back and pull a sermon that I've preached before. Can I get a witness? <laughs> that was weak. Just go ahead and preach one we've heard before, preacher. It's okay, right? So today, uh, I decided to do 1 Corinthians 15. Now, the reason why I did is because in all of the Scripture, you will not find um, the resurrection dealt with more in depth uh, than you'll find in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, what was going on in Corinth, we're not exactly sure, and one of the difficulties of teaching New Testament theology is when you have a, a letter, you only have one side of the issue, right? I mean, when you're writing letters to somebody, you write a letter to them, and typically, what do they do back? They write you back. And so you've got these two letters, and you put both of the letters together, and you can kind of understand exactly what's going on between the people. Well, in this case, in the New Testament, with Paul's letters, we, we only have one side. And so you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit as to what is going on there. Now, if you've read uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, you know that Corinth was a church that, that Paul knew well on one of his missionary journeys in, in the book of Acts. Um, he, he was there and helps to start that church and, and nurture that church. But Corinth had a ton of problems. I mean a ton of problems. And we're not going to go through all the problems today, but probably one of the worst problems they had, they had some misunderstandings about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a serious problem. And why is that a serious problem? Because if we don't have the resurrection, do we have Christianity? No, we don't. I mean, I mean, I mean the bedrock, not to use a pun, but the, the bedrock of what we believe and why we come here every week is, is on display right here. And what is this? The empty tomb, yes, they, they went to the tomb that morning and Jesus was gone. He was not in the tomb. There was an angelic presence there that testified to the fact that he was not there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then the, the, we know that there's several different occurrences of what happened over the next you know, several days, but, but, uh, but, but Jesus is alive. He is not dead, amen? He's alive. But for some reason, through the years, there have been some confusion about the resurrection. And so Paul goes painstakingly deep in trying to explain to them what resurrection is all about. So if you have your Bible, open with me and join me in 1 Corinthians 15. Now there's two primary concerns, okay? Two primary concerns. The first one is they didn't have, they didn't have a problem with believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. But they had doubts that all the dead would be risen from the dead. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? They had no problem with believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. But all the other dead people, all the other dead Christians, would they really be, be raised from the dead? 
And then the other main issue that they had, and I'll point that out when we get there if I remember to, because there's a lot here, but the other main issue they had was they could not conceive in their Greek minds, they could not conceive how a, a body that had been made for the earth, when, it was when and if it was raised from the dead, could actually go where? Yeah. Because, I mean, when you, now the ancients didn't have, really didn't have a clue what space was like, because that didn't come until a long time later. But we know for a fact human beings cannot survive in space, much less beyond space in the body state that we're in now. And so Paul spends a lot of time trying to help them understand how, how God was going to transform, I love that word, by the way, transform their deceased earthly bodies into a body like Christ's that could exist for all eternity in heaven with him. That, how would you like to be charged with figuring that out and writing a letter back to those people? That would be kind of difficult. So join me as we begin, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, and this, this phrase is very important for you to grab, okay? This is why the Bible is so important and why we are so consistent about teaching the scriptures, no matter how offensive it is, we, we, we teach the scripture because it is according to the scriptures that Christ died for our sins, say it with me, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day again, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, he said, Paul says, but, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And that has come all the way from the days of Corinth, across the ocean, all the way to the United States of America, and all the way here to Parkway Baptist Church. And here we are gathered, very much like Corinth probably was, hearing a letter from the Apostle Paul's mouth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does that blow your mind or what? I mean, I mean, it's absolutely amazing to me that we have this word and that we are in a long line of those that have believed and that have carried the gospel to the nations. A couple of things to point out here in these first 11 verses, just, just a couple of things. Number one, it is possible, and this is one of the most horrifying things, uh, that, that me as a man, pastor, father, husband, friend, the, 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 one, of the, one of the scariest realities that I know that exists, and that is it is possible it is possible to believe in vain. Did you hear that? It's possible to do that. It's possible to say that I believe in Jesus and it not be true. That's what Paul is saying. 
Now, only time bears that out because we don't know. Only the person knows in God. Unless the fruit of their life is so far outside the realm of what a Christian is supposed to be, then we can have some kind of idea. Hey, look, you say you believe in Jesus, but by the way you act, it certainly doesn't seem like you do. So Paul gives that warning to them that it is possible to believe in vain. And then the other thing about these first 11 verses is according to the Scripture. The Word of God has testified to everything that Paul is teaching, and the revelation he received was directly from the resurrected Christ. And third, before we leave, you may have caught you when you, when you heard that passage, when Paul says he was abnormally born. That's strange to hear Paul describe himself that way. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is, is that he did not walk with Christ for three years when Jesus was on the earth. In fact, he did just the opposite. He raised up an army of people that persecuted Christians and that tried to drive drive Christianity out of the marketplace because he was a rabbi and believed Christianity to be a scourge. Only later, when Paul got letters from the synagogue to, to persecute the Christians headed toward Damascus, then, and only then, Jesus came and made him eat the, the, the Damascus Road dirt where he was blinded and then later converted. That's what he means by being abnormally born. He didn't come the exact same way the original 12 did. He came a little bit later after he tried to persecute the church and Jesus converted him on the road to Damascus in the street called Straight in Damascus. So the point of these first 11 verses is Paul is telling Corinth that you, Corinthians, you initially, initially when I came preaching the gospel, you accepted the truth about Jesus. You accepted it and you got it right. Verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? Useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are what? Lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if the resurrection is not true, my brothers and sisters, if this is not true, we, all of us gathered here today, are completely and totally under a delusion. If the resurrection is not true, that is what Paul is saying. That's what he's screaming to Corinth. We're under delusion. Verse 20 But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, hallelujah, is what? Death. Hallelujah. Amen. That is what this represents. This represents the death of death and the life of Christ. Amen? That's what this represents. For he, verse 27, has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Paul clarifies it to be sure there's no misunderstanding about that. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So what Paul is saying there is he is saying that Christ, Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection, meaning that Christ will be the first one that is raised from the dead. It is the first and only resurrection ever like Jesus Christ where he's raised from the dead and he lives forever, meaning he is the first fruits. Well, if there's a first fruit, what is there also? a second fruit and a third fruit and a fourth fruit and a fifth fruit. There's just fruit everywhere. So he's trying to give you this language of harvest, that Jesus is the first one in the resurrection harvest, and there will be more that comes later. Then he also gives you the Adam and Christ comparison. Look at verse 21. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And he says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Well, help me understand that, preachers. It's, 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 it sounds complicated, but it's really simple. If you remember creation in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are created. They're in the Garden of Eden. They're told to not eat of that one tree of the knowledge of, of, of good and evil. Uh, Eve bites, gives it to Adam, he eats, and then what happens? Sin comes into the world and the fall happens. And now sin, the entire universe is contaminated by sin. And what comes along with sin but the D word? And what is that? Death. And the only thing that can reverse that curse is the one that comes from heaven and his name is what? Jesus. So he is the one that brings life as Adam is the one that brings death. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 29. See, this is going fast. Amen. I told you it would. Verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who were baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. 
So if the resurrection is false, if there is no resurrection, then why all this controversy? Why all this persecution? Why all this activity around the act of resurrection if it's not true? That's kind of what Paul's hitting at there. So, so now, first of all, let me tell you this. We have no idea. We don't have any idea what, how to interpret verse 29. We simply do not know what was going on that caused Paul to mention this situation. Read that again. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? We simply do not know. There's been a lot of different ideas about what Paul is addressing there, and we simply do not know. But what we do know is, is that if they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then why are they baptizing people for that? is Paul's whole point there. So he talks about that. Then he talks about the danger that he himself has experienced as an apostle of Christ. If you spent any time at all in the book of Acts, just about everywhere Paul went, he was beaten, run out of town, imprisoned. I mean, I mean you name it, Paul was persecuted by the Jews and by others, by, by, some, by some pagan idol worshipers. It, it, it was just different places that Paul went, and just about everywhere he went, he received some form of persecution for the message of the resurrection of Jesus that he, that he spoke. He tells us in verse 31, I face death. How often? Every day. Every day. Paul faces death. So if the resurrection is not true, why am I facing death every day for preaching the resurrection is true? Why is that? There is some greater power that is out here that does not want that message preached. And so whatever that greater power is, and we know who that greater power is, that Satan is trying to, to snuff him out and stop him from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's persecuted. Just as surely as I boast about you in Christ our Lord, if I fought the wild beast, verse 32, if I fought the wild beast in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Two schools of thought here. Some say he was actually put in an amphitheater with wild beasts that tried to attack him and kill him. Other people believe that he is speaking metaphorically, that these false teachers, whoever these people were that were persecuting him, came after him as a wild beast would, trying to kill him and scare him and shut him up from preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What have I gained? If the dead are not raised, you've heard this before, not in the context of Paul, I think I heard it in the context of the fat friar when he said, let us eat and drink and be merry for what? Tomorrow we may die. So if there's no eternal judgment, if there's nothing that comes next, if there is no resurrection, if there is nothing beyond this life, then why should I spend any time worrying about my behavior in this life? I just need to live it up if nothing comes next. If there's no accountability for how I live in this life, if there is no judgment, if there's no accountability, then I just need to eat and drink and enjoy myself because I'm gonna be dead soon and then that's it. Then Paul says, do not be misled. Is everybody hearing that this morning? Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you hang out with people with bad character, that that bad character can rub off on you? Do you believe that? Absolutely. That is absolutely true. Absolutely. The same as if you hang out with people that have good character, that good character also rubs off on you. 
If you hang out with people that believe an orthodox faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and commit their life to that, chances are you're gonna pick that up over time and you're gonna believe and you're gonna get it right. If you hang out with people that have a very loose understanding of the gospel and do not believe that the dead are actually raised and you're gonna wind up and be like some of these Corinthians that have no idea that the resurrection applies to everybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to Christ when he came out of the tomb, but everybody when that time comes and Jesus returns. He says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God and I say this to your shame. So if the resurrection is false, then why all this, why all this persecution? Why all this controversy? Why, why is all this going on if this is not true? Verse 35 through 38. Here's when he gets into the nature of the resurrection body. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. Would you agree with that? Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds, another. And fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind of splendor and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So the nature, what Paul is talking about here, is the nature of the resurrection body and helping us understand what that is going to be like. Have you ever wondered about that? What your resurrection body is gonna be like? If you're a professing believer and you really are saved, one of these days, you're gonna have the body that Christ had when he came out of that tomb. You're gonna have a body that is fit and regenerated by God's supernatural power to be able to exist eternally with God in heaven in the abode of God. How, what, what, what do you, what, does that excite you at all? I mean, absolutely, absolutely does. But we also live in a world that hates that message. We live in a world that doesn't wanna hear that and every opportunity they get, they remind us how foolish and stupid it is that we believe this stuff. And so Paul kind of breaks it down for us, and I love the first example that he uses talking about the seed. I love that. When he says that a seed, what you sow does not come to life unless it what? Dies. Now, 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 now that might seem oversimplified to you, but let me, let, me, let me encourage you a little bit. 
Have you ever picked up a uh, pecan and eaten a pecan before? Raise your hand. Pecan, okay. A pecan is actually a seed, right? For a pecan tree, all right? Now, you can crack them open and eat them and they taste great, all right? But would you ever dream in a million years, like many years ago when you were a child before you grew up and, you know, took science and all that kind of stuff, would you have looked at that, that, that pecan and thought to yourself, if I drop this in the ground, this big, huge, beautiful tree is gonna grow from that seed? Probably not. You probably would not have thought that just like I didn't think that when I was a kid. My grandparents taught me about seeds and about plants. So you look at this seed and the seed looks completely different than the plant does. Can you amen that? And the seed itself, comparatively speaking, the seed lasts a very short amount of time when it is planted compared to how long the plant that comes from the seed lives, especially talking trees, especially talking trees. So that's what Paul's point here is. You take the seed, for instance, and what he means by that is he means the seed of the body, right? The body, the body dies, but what happens to the inside of our body, to the soul of our body? Where does it go? To be with Jesus. Until Jesus returns, then he reunites our body and our soul together, and in the twinkling of an eye, it changes to be as Jesus is for eternity, for, for all eternity, so that's the seed example. Then he says, look at the fleshly bodies. And this is and the, the, key, the key phrase that you really have to hang on, on to here is that God determines. He says, he says, God, verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has determined. So not all flesh is the same. This is why creation is such a big deal. This is why the created order is such a big deal. The created order, which by the way is under attack. Would you amen that? Under attack. By, by all the secular forces, it's under attack. All the secular forces, in every which way you can possibly dream, it is, is, is under attack. But here, God determined humans, animals, birds, and fish all have different flesh. I will never forget the first time, I think I maybe said this not too long ago, I will never forget the first time I went fishing in the Gulf of Mexico and caught a flounder. Have y'all ever seen a flounder before? It looks like the invasion of aliens is coming from the ocean and not the skies. <laughs> that thing has an eye on its side, has this weird looking tooth up underneath it and its mouth is halfway open and it swims sideways. I mean, it's the weirdest looking thing that, that you will ever see in your life. But yet, God determined to make that flounder specific for its environment. Just like God made humans, human beings, the way he made us specifically for this environment. And that's the trouble the Corinthians had. They're like, well, yeah, we understand that, but, but I mean, how can this body live way up yonder? Well, that's why, that's why Paul used all these different examples. He said, well, well humans are made to live as, as, land, as land, land people. And then you have animals, most of which are on the land. But then you also have birds. And what do they do? They fly around. Their bones are really light, they've got feathers, and they can, they, can, they can fly in the skies. And then finally, you've got fish. And fish are probably the weirdest looking creatures on earth, in my opinion. I mean, I mentioned the flounder, but have y'all ever caught a, a, an alligator gar? You ever caught one of those? We used to be terrified of alligator gars in Greenville, Mississippi. We, I had a friend of mine, Michael McGuire, if you're watching, Michael, I'm gonna throw you under the bus. He was scared to death to swim because he was afraid the alligator gar was gonna eat his toes off. Eat his toes off. 
And he would like watch. He would watch the top of the water because alligator gar, they'll swim down low, then they come up to the top and you can see their fins kind of touch the surface and then they go back down and they're looking for, they're looking for, little, for little bait fish. But he wouldn't do it because he was scared to death of those alligator gars and they get about that big around and about, they get huge. That's why they call them alligator gar. But they're different. God made fish different for their atmosphere. God made birds different for their atmosphere. God made humans different from their atmosphere and animals different for the, way, for the way they live. And then he talks about human heavenly bodies and earthly bodies and how the splendor is different for each. Then he names the sun, the moon, and the stars, which is interesting because he lists them in decreasing order of brightness. But God created them all. I mean, the sun and the moon don't, don't operate the exact same way. I mean, the sun, where would we be without the sun? Where would we be without the sun? Where would we be without the moon? Where would we be without the stars? God created them all, but yet they're all different and serve different purposes for us as his creation. And then he says, a body is sown is perishable, but raised imperishable. So he talks about Adam being the natural and Christ being the spiritual. He says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural and after the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Powerful. Verse 50, we're at the end. What time is it? No applause, no applause. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery? Can you understand a mystery? Not normally. You can come up with some ideas and maybe think you've got some hints or some clues but for the most part, you just kind of have to accept the mystery as being the mystery and be okay with it. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to say. We're gonna be transformed. It's not really easy to give you an exact explanation. The best Paul did under the guidance of the Holy Spirit was to give a, a kind of a, a, a category list of all the creatures that God has created and all the heavenly and earthly bodies that God has created. He said, God created all these specifically for this time and this place in this way so they can survive and thrive. But at the end, at the very end, at the consummation of the age, something else is going to happen. And it's a mystery. But you are going to be transformed. We will not all sleep but we will all be what? Changed. You see, salvation in receiving Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning. In some circles, we've almost made that the end, though. Would you agree with that? And we have, but that's just the beginning. Being saved and be, becoming a Christian is just the beginning. And our life here in this time is but a vapor 
All of eternity we have, once we are transformed into our eternal bodies, we have an entire eternity that we are gonna live with and serve God. And that is gonna be incredible. I've, I mean, we, we don't know, we don't know what all it's gonna be like, but we know it's gonna be incredible. So we will not sleep, but we will all be changed in a what? Flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. They were sown perishable, but they will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then before he moves on to chapter 16, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, I love the way Paul says that. I love that he thinks of us as dear brothers and sisters because we are dear brothers and sisters, are we not? Do you consider... Your brothers and sisters here, are they dear to you? Do you love them and care about them? I hope that you do. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Final passage, then we close. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words and we have been encouraged in obedience to Paul's command this Easter Sunday of 2023. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Paul's diligence, his willingness to commit his life to the Christian objectives and mission. I thank you for this day that we come to celebrate your resurrection out of the tomb. I pray that anyone here today that does not know you, Lord, that they, would, that they would know and understand and believe that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth 100% man and 100% God, that he lived his entire life without committing sin, that he taught us the ways of heaven, 
that he went to the cross and died a substitutionary death for our sins, that he was taken off the cross dead, put in the tomb dead, and three days later came out of the tomb alive with a body unlike anybody has ever seen before. And Lord, on this Easter Sunday, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not entrusted their life to you, that has not believed in the one and only Son of God, I pray that today would be their day. To not wait, to not procrastinate, to say maybe some other day, maybe next year, maybe next Easter, maybe next Sunday, maybe tomorrow. I got a lot to do, I can't do that today. No, we don't know that we have tomorrow. So we pray that your word would convict and that your love would overcome and birth faith and salvation in anyone's heart that is listening today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.